Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of worship. I'd like to give a special welcome to all of you who may be visiting with us this morning. So if you are visiting with us, maybe this is your first time or first time in a long time, if you'd simply raise your hand, and Pastor Rich has a packet of information he'd like to give to you. Inside that packet, there is a little card to fill out. If you put that in the offering plate later on, then we can acknowledge your visit by letter. So we delight, we're delighted to have you visiting with us. Also, a special welcome to any of our veterans who are with us this morning. If you're a veteran, we would like to acknowledge you in a special way and thank the Lord for you. Would you mind standing so that we can do that? <clears throat> Thank you very much. I'd like to welcome back Dave Garner as our fall Bible conference speaker. Uh, Dave has been with us, and we've really gotten a lot out of him last Sunday, Wednesday night, yesterday at the men's breakfast, this morning already, earlier, now, and later on. And I understand that they made you work at your other jobs during the course of the week as well. They didn't give you time off like they should have. So um, we're indebted for his teaching and for his stamina and encouragement and for modeling the things that he's preaching Delighted to have Dave back with us this morning. Uh, a couple things I'd like to stress from the bulletin. There's a note in the bulletin in, that invites us to drop off old eyeglasses so that they can be given to Quechua Indians in Peru in conjunction with the Ministry of the Shannons. There's a basket in the gym hallway opposite that third window, right there where Nancy is, just opposite there, a basket outside. If you have used or old eyeglasses that you would like to contribute uh, to go down to Peru, that would be a, a great thing for us to do. A reminder that our churchwide cleanup day is coming up this next Saturday. That's from 9 to 12. There's an insert in the bulletin that will give us a lot more information. There's also an insert in the bulletin about our newest Alden Union Church missionaries, Stephen and Trixie Hanlon. So if you read carefully through their and uh, be sure to be praying for them, but uh, you'll understand who they are. You'll also understand as you read through here that what they're doing is in a dangerous part of the world. And so it tells us here toward the end of this insert um, that they have connection to underground believers. Uh, if they're ever accused of witnessing to Muslims, uh, Stephen could be deported from the country. Trixie could be jailed. So as a result, we request that this information not be posted in any way or shared through any electronic media. In fact, what we would like you to do after you've read all this information, if you would kind of crumple it up and then eat it. Okay. Now, just in case Jack takes me literally and we get a lawsuit, I'm, I'm just kidding about that part of it. Not kidding about the need for prayer, and we're rejoicing that the Lord has provided us with other missionaries to be able to pray for and support. Um, if you like Explorer Girls and Chick-fil-A, check out the invitation in the bulletin to kill two birds with one stone on Thursday evening. Actually, the birds will be killed for you by the time you get there. But you'll see the, uh, the nice combination that will, I, I hope, help both. Another invitation, a family Thanksgiving dinner. You can meet with others from Alden Union Church at 4 o'clock here on Thanksgiving Day. If you would like to do that, there's a lot more information in the bulletin, but plan to bring a favorite side dish or dessert. Um, that, um, that bird will also be killed before you get here, so you don't have to worry about that. One other invitation tonight, and this is not in the bulletin, 
We'll be receiving new members as a part of our closing service of the Bible conference, and also there will be a reception in their honor following the meeting tonight. So come as an encouragement to them, as well as to receive what God has for us from his word this evening. If you look at the order of worship, a verse from 1 Corinthians 13, 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, or to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. We're going to be hearing about how important love is, even more important than other things that seem to be important. So let's meditate on that even now and ask the Lord to help us to love as we've never loved before when we interact with his word this morning. So let's take a moment in silent prayer right now. Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to love as you love. I pray that you would help us to learn from your word today. I pray that as we learn from that, as we leave here, that we will be different and other people will notice that difference because they'll know how they're loved. Help us to have the kind of love that's selfless, the kind of love that, again, is patterned after what you've shown us throughout your word and what you've shown us in the Lord Jesus himself. So we thank you for that, and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. sit down. Let's take a moment and greet as many people as you can in the few moments that we have to do this.
Amen. Well, you may be seated, but please keep out your hymnals. And let's turn with each other to the back of our hymnals to reading 661. This is Christian love. Again, that's 661. And then we'll read the light print. And if we could all respond by please reading the bold print together. Again, this is 661, Christian love. And I'll begin. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Now we see but a poor reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face, and now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Well, let's turn in the, to the front of our hymnals and we can remain seated as we sing hymn 92. Let's sing together, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling.
Would you join me as we pray together? Our great God, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to to commune with one who is so holy, so righteous, because we recognize that we are not. And we recognize that without the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we have no business coming into your presence. But because of his blood, because of Jesus, we've been reunited with you, our Father, and we can call you our God, and we can call you our Father, and know with assurance that you are listening to us even right now. And so we rest in that assurance. We rest in the assurance that the creator of the world, that God, knows what we're going through. And that you are busy at work in our lives and in our midst. That you're hearing our requests as they come off of our lips. But that your Holy Spirit is also He's also interpreting those things that we can't even put into words that are heavy on our hearts. We thank you for your power, for your strength. We thank you for the way that you are at work in our lives. We thank you for the answers to prayer that you have demonstrated in recent days. We thank you that this morning we can rejoice with Kenny Coppola's presence earlier for the way that you have demonstrated yourself strong and mighty in his life, for the way that you have brought him back to health. Father, for the way that you spared his life. And we would pray that you would continue to touch his body, that you would bring him back 100%. Father, we also recognize that there are many amongst us who are struggling these days, whether it be with our health, Uh, maybe a family relationship or or loss of a job or or end of a semester, just the difficulties and the, the hardships of life. Father, we pray in the midst of them that we would rely on you and that that as you work out what you desire in each of those situations, that you would show yourself strong and mighty in them as well. And that as we stand back, as we come through that small time of journey, that we would see how you are at work. And that others might see that you are at work and have no other explanation. And that God must have shown up. And we pray that they might glorify you in heaven as a result. Father, we thank you that we can lift each other up in that way. We thank you that we can be praying for our missionaries around the world this morning. We know that many of them are in very difficult places. We know that some of them are in places where where persecution is regularly taking place. And so we pray that you might uphold them, that you would strengthen them for the work that's in front of them, that you might give them moments of rest, that you might make yourself known in their lives in a special way today, and that you might even allow them to see some of the fruit of their labor. 
Father, we thank you for our college students, for the way that you have spread them out across this country in their universities and, and colleges and the, the campuses that you've called them to, not just to study, but so that they might, in fact, share the gospel with those who are in desperate need of it. We pray that you would strengthen them for that calling, even today. We pray the same for our military personnel as they are scattered around the world. Thank you for placing them where you've placed them, not just for our protection, but for the advancement of the gospel. Father, we thank you that we can pray for our leaders. We are grateful for them. We ask that you would uphold them, that you would grant them great wisdom in the decisions that are made. And then, our Father, we pray that as we continue our worship this morning, that you would help our eyes to be focused solely on you. As we give right now as part of our worship, that our eyes would be focused on you as we give, knowing that everything that we have has been given to us from you, to be used for a season that it might advance the gospel. And so we pray that you would take what is given and multiply it this morning that you would use it that many might come to know Jesus. And we pray these things in his strong name and for your glory. Amen.
Thank you, Beth. Thank you, Sarah. Well, at this time, let's take out our hymnals once more. Let's open up to hymn number 177. And let's stand together as we sing, What Wondrous Love Is This? be seated. Good morning. Stories told of a minister who kept preaching the same sermon every single Sunday morning. His congregation was getting a bit fatigued with that sermon every week, and he finally said to them, well, if you'll start doing what I'm preaching, I'll move on to another sermon. 
This morning, you will notice in your bulletin that the text that is in play there, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, is last week's sermon text. Now, um, I do believe that was a mistake. However, however, after I got to thinking about that, I was wondering if Derek was saying something about last week's sermon that I needed to preach it over again. Uh, I'm not sure, but actually our text this morning comes from 1 Corinthians 13, that we read for our responsive reading this morning. So I invite you to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll be looking at verses 1 through the first part of verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 through the first sentence in verse 8. Hear now from God's holy word. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, And if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Please pray with me. As did the early church, O God, we pray this morning that you would enable us as your church in the 21st century, to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We thank you that in your extraordinary wisdom that you determined that you would give us your word inscripturated, that you would give it to us in written form for its sustaining the church throughout the generations until the Lord Jesus returns. And in this word this morning, O God, we pray that you would do as you have said through your prophet Isaiah, that your word will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. So we would ask, O God, that you would accomplish that purpose in our midst this very morning. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our topic for the conference has been the gospel's reality, that the gospel is for real. Last week we began our series considering the commands of the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 4 that we are to hold fast to our confession, that we have a Jesus, the Son of God who has passed through the heavens, the, the high priest who lives ever to intercede for us, one who has been tempted in every way like we, yet without sin. And we discovered in verse 16 that we have in him the living Christ 
full and bold access to the throne of grace, and it is in Jesus that we will find everything that we need. He gives mercy and grace for help in time of need. The gospel is real today. And as we framed it last week, let me re-articulate this point. That if we have hope for a gospel for eternity that is irrelevant for today, that gospel for eternity is empty. But rather what we find is that the Jesus that is relevant for tomorrow is indeed the Jesus that is relevant for today. We must not then succumb to the tyranny of a tomorrow Jesus. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinth, is ever mindful of the power of the gospel. He writes to a church that frankly is a mess. There are moral problems, interpersonal problems, legal problems, the misappropriation of spiritual gifts. The church is a disaster. And having written already in the prior chapters about the unity of the church with the gifting of diversity among its members, the Apostle Paul continues with this theme of a God-given unity that we as the people of God are required to maintain. And he turns his attention in this section this morning in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians to the essence of love, of gospel love. This is a very much endearing and much appreciated portion of Scripture. Perhaps many of you even had this section of Scripture read in your wedding. It's much beloved, but there's a danger here in sentimentalizing this text, in in seeing these words from the Apostle Paul as somewhat like an ode to love, that he is concerned here to express the emotion and sentiment of love as an aspiration or perhaps even an inspiration. But if we read this text carefully, we'll see that there is nothing purely emotive about it. This is not a love feeling. This is love in action. It is a bold love. It's a radical love. It is an unnatural uncommon love. It is frankly a preposterous love. It's a love that comes only by a power that is from without. This is not something that we can conjure up in our own human hearts and emotions. This is something that is a gift of God. This is a love that turns hearts, that turns heads. Christ's love is a love that defies personal rights. It's a love that kills self-centeredness. It's a love that not only looks beyond self, it refuses to consider self at all. It is a love like no other. What Paul is fleshing out for us here is the ethical core of the gospel. What is it that the church of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit, outpoured upon us, what are we to look, at, look, look like? What is the initiation of God's love for us in Christ Jesus do? As John the Apostle will put it, that we love because he what? First loved us. 
That is no mere sentiment. It is a, an expression of what you and I are to look like as the recipients of the forgiving grace of God. This is a love that manifested for us in Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God demonstrated his love to us in that context. This is a love that is secured by the empty tomb of Christ so that the Apostle Paul can cry out, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? That in spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our unloveliness, that this God says, I love you and I love you forever. The love of God redeems, it saves, it adores, it transforms, it releases us from the bondage of sin and selfishness. And it is that love that the Apostle Paul profiles for us as not merely something that we have received, but because we have received it, we are called by the power of Jesus Christ, the risen Son of God, to live out this love. Let's see more about what the Apostle says Look at the first three verses again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, we're not a lot different than the first century Christians in Corinth. It is easy for us to become captivated by powerful orators, by those that manifest extraordinary gifts and strengths. The apostle here opens by expressing this, that if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am nothing. How easily we are sucked into the captivating, mesmerizing speaker who possesses extraordinary oratorical skills. And in this case, Paul is talking about this practice in the early church of tongue speaking. And here he speaks about the tongues of angels. I will not express the, in detail this morning the, the meaning. The, the focus, though, here is this, that even somebody that can manifest extraordinary giftedness and does not have love is nothing. In other words, that's not the real gospel. It is merely a shell of it. That a loveless would-be gospel is hollow. What about the miracle worker? Here he speaks about one that has faith enough to to remove mountains. He he talks about one at the beginning of verse 2 who has extraordinary intellectual capacity. How easy it is for us to be drawn in to those who have such cognitive gifts, intellectual prowess, Extraordinary manifestations. And Paul says, if I have all those things and have not love, I am nothing. Zilcho, nua, nisto, zero. Nothing. 
Then he speaks in verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Even the most extraordinary philanthropist, even the most self-sacrificing person, the giving of my life without love gains me nothing. Think with me for a moment about the one who is devoted and dedicated to false religion that would even strap bombs upon himself or herself in the name of religion and does not have the love of Christ gains nothing. Where there is not love, there is no gospel. It's a hollow shell Empty. And yet Paul is aware that we can become enamored with impressive people. The church has its own set of superheroes. Many of us could articulate the leading evangelical spokespeople. We idolize them very often. But to quote that famous 70s tune, Roberta Flack, Danny Hathaway, where is the love? Without love, there is no gospel. In fact, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, when he speaks about a clanging symbol, when he, when he speaks about the din of lovelessness, he actually compares the lovelessness with false religion. You see, this clanging symbol was a very familiar sound for those that were involved in pagan worship. In other words, Paul is saying, if you have all of these gifts that impress people, that impress the church, and have not love, you are no different than the idolater. The test, then, of the gospel is not skill, it is not argument, it is not brilliance, it's not even generosity. but it is love. So Paul, as he articulates the negative features here in verses 1 through 3, moves to an extraordinary explication of the characteristic of love and action in the life of the church. Let's see what he says about this potent love in verses 4 through 6. Read them again with me. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love of God in Christ is actually a life and death matter, or better said, it is a death to life matter. You see, it is at the cross of Christ Jesus that we see profiled for all of history the most extraordinary manifestation of love. And it is that love that has purchased the church of Jesus Christ. It is that love that has been poured out upon us by the Spirit of Christ. The comprehensive nature of the cross delivers a comprehensive call to living out the love of God with one another. The love with which you have been loved. Tonight, we will be looking at an account in the Gospels of this woman who comes before Jesus in 
the Pharisee's home and shows the outpouring of love to Jesus. We're going to discover the power of forgiving love that Jesus Christ expresses. I would say this about the church. If the church is not showing forgiveness as a manifestation of love, it is missing the sweet heart of the gospel. It's that warm, moist center of a sticky bun, that sweet spot that we all love to get to. That's the heart of the gospel. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us, as Paul will put it in Ephesians 4, verse 32. Like a tidal wave of blessing, then the love of Christ overwhelms us, overtakes us. Listen to Paul's language in Ephesians chapter 2. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Love takes the unlovely like us, and expresses infinite kindness. This is what God has done for us in Christ. And love, then, is not merely a concept. It is not merely an emotion. It is the fleshing out of the power of God and the gospel that Paul calls us to in his descriptions here of the patience, the kindness, etc., of this love. The loving kindness of God is expressed in the living kindness of the church. So what does the Apostle Paul say then in verses 4 through 6 about the potency of this love? Well, first he says love is patient and kind. Think for a moment with me about the Lord Jesus, about his patience and his kindness The patience with which the Lord Jesus endured suffering, endured temptation, the insults, the mocking, the ridicule, the misunderstanding, the manipulation, the vindictiveness, the obstinacy and dullness even of his very own disciples, the night in which the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be betrayed, here we find the disciples debating about who's going to sit at the right hand of Jesus in the kingdom. Jesus endured large crowds and the fatigue associated with it. He endured Peter's denial, being spat upon, blasphemed, and taunted. Jesus demonstrated patience and kindness. And what about us? You see, it is that manifestation that ought to grip our hearts and call us to a patience with one another that goes beyond our hurts, our woundings. How often have I heard it, even in my own office, with people through the years in church ministry that will come into my office and say, I was willing to forgive, but not this time. I was willing to be kind, but this crosses the line. 
Aren't you glad that God doesn't do that with us? And it is that very same love that compels us as the church of Jesus Christ to love even as we are loved. You know what? That's not natural. It is impossible. But that is precisely where God's perfect strength is made manifest in our own weakness. You're not left to yourself. Love is patient, it is kind. Verse 4 continues, it does not envy or boast. (laughs) If you look through the pages of Scripture, you don't have to look far to find manifestations of the evil of envy. We see all the way back in Genesis chapter 4, the envy of Cain against Abel and his acceptable offering. Jacob envying Esau's birthright, Joseph's brothers envying him and his special treatment by their father. Envy is a sinful response to someone else's blessing. What do we find the Lord Jesus Christ doing? A refusal to envy, to look at other people's circumstances and situations that were fantastically superior to his own. You never see Jesus complaining about his plight, only saying, I've come to do the will of my Father. Delighting even in that suffering. The Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth in chapter 3 writes this, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Paul is saying, guess what, folks? You look just like the unbelieving world. That is incompatible with the gospel of love in Jesus Christ. Jesus dissatisfied? Never. Jesus manifested a genuine love, a refusal to make himself and defend himself in a way that defied his father's voice. I'm a big basketball fan. Went to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. My blood is Carolina blue. Don't cut me to find out. I'm just telling you it is. When Michael Jordan left the university to go to Chicago, to play with the Chicago Bulls. I remember one particular Christmas, some of my roommates and I in my apartment decided that we were going to take a a road trip to Chicago to watch the Bulls play. And one of the early years of of Michael Jordan's career, Stacy King, a name that you probably would not know, he played his rookie year with the Chicago Bulls, and after one particular night, Stacy King scored one point. Michael Jordan scored 69. And after the game, King was interviewed and asked about the game, and he said, well, Michael Jordan and I combined tonight to score for 70 points. True. 
but that is a boasting. You see, the love of the gospel does not try to defend itself, exalt itself. It does not envy, it does not boast. Jesus says in John 8, I did not seek my own glory. John 5, I do not seek honor or receive honor from men. Love does not envy or boast. It is Christ's love that actually puts us wonderfully in our place. This gospel love that frees us from envy and boasting places us squarely in a place of security and contentment. And it is that place from which we are to operate. Many of you will know the name William Carey, the great missionary to India. He was, prior to his arrival in India, a shoe repairman by trade. And when he left his trade to go to India, he began to translate the Bible and did so into over 30 dialects. As a repairer of shoes, he was one that stood very low on the social caste system of India. But one particular night, Carrie was at a dinner party with a man of high social standing. This man didn't care to ask Carrie about his translation work. Instead, he stated, I understand that you were a shoemaker. And Carrie said, oh, oh no, your lordship, I was only a shoe repairman. Love of the gospel frees us to be who we are, where we are. Love does not boast. We see then in the remainder of verse 4 into verse 5. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Toothpaste tubes. Have you ever gotten all the toothpaste out? There are even devices that you can buy at CVS that you can clamp on your tube and you can squeeze with all your might. You'll never get it all out. Think about the tons of toothpaste that have gone in the trash can. No, I'm not going to spend any time there. What I want you to think about is this. Unlike all the efforts that we might give to squeeze out the toothpaste from the toothpaste tube, there is nothing that we can do in our own minds and hearts and power to squeeze out our own self-centeredness. But God in Christ has done it for us. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. We have it all. This love that is not arrogant or rude, that does not insist upon its own way. We have been freed from the chains of self, from the tyranny of self-promotion, where we do not need be arrogant or rude because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. cannot help but think about Paul's Words in Philippians 2 in which he tells us to have this mind among ourselves, the same attitude as that which was in Christ Jesus. What is that attitude? It's an attitude that does not ever insist upon its own way. Jesus is in Gethsemane, bleeding from his brow, sweat and blood. 
as He looked towards the cross. To die for your sin and for mine, Jesus at that moment said, Father, if it were possible, please have this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. The Gospel does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. And it does not insist upon its own way. Gospel love enables us to defer. It enables us to think of others more highly than ourselves. Is it not the most extraordinary condescension in human history that Jesus would leave the hallowed halls of heaven, take on flesh and blood of yours and my identity in order to forgive those who have shaken our fists in his face. Love does not insist upon its own way. Then Paul continues, love is not irritable or resentful. Many of you, I am sure, are just like I. Your day does not begin without coffee. We have a coffee maker in our home that is the bane of my existence. Every morning or every night before I go to bed, I put the coffee in the right amount, I put in the right amount of water, I close it, I set the timer so that when the alarm goes off at 5 o'clock in the morning that I really do wake up to that hot brewed coffee. Well, this particular coffee maker has decided to have a mind of its own. And so what it does is it will always go on when it's supposed to go on, but what it insists upon doing wholly unpredictably, is that instead of pouring the coffee into the pot, it pours the coffee all over the counter, all over the floor. I have studied this machine. I've watched it operate. I've cleaned it. I've scrubbed it. I've not yet thrown it across the room, but I'm close. I have done nearly everything that I can imagine, and I cannot see where the coffee is. The coffee maker is not working. It's not a great way to start the morning. One particular morning, I came downstairs to a puddle of coffee on the kitchen floor. And this particular morning, I was also aware that that week, my wife had gone to the store and bought some Pop-Tarts. I mean, I, I was already irritable when I saw the coffee on the floor. I thought, well, I'm going to go to the cupboard and I'm going to redeem this situation. I am going to eat a Pop-Tart. I reached up into the cabinet, grabbed the box, lifted it up way, way too easily. I reached my hand into the box, and there was no Pop-Tart. Irritability, irritability has now become resentment. Then I come to discover later that day, that one of my sons takes great delight in removing the last Pop-Tart and leaving the box for situations just like this one. 
I have now moved from irritability to resentment to murderous thoughts. The gospel, even in the context of family, calls us to love in a way that goes beyond ourselves. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. Think about the Lord Jesus as He did indeed leave the hallowed halls of heaven and He did so saying yes to His Father. I grumble over a broken coffee maker. Jesus was asked to endure 40 days of hungering and thirsting in the wilderness, being tempted by the archenemy himself. Without irritability and resentment, he says yes to his Father. He had to endure loneliness, desperation. He had no place to lay his head. And he did so without grumbling. He did so without resentment. Why? Because he loves you and he loves me. The love of Christ frees us from irritability. It frees us from resentment. It calls us not to give in to disillusionment, not to give in to our fleshly inclinations, but it frees us by the mighty power of the resurrected Christ to love without irritability or resentment. Jesus was asked to endure the gruesomeness and grotesqueness of your sin and mine. Real blood spilled for your sin. And he did so because he loves us. And it is that love that calls us to love one another in the church of Jesus Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If you trace Jesus' life throughout his ministry in the Gospels, you will see his life characterized by overwhelming sadness, difficulties, trials, tribulations, misjudgment, misrepresentation, misinterpretation. He was hated, pursued, betrayed defied, having since the 70. In Luke chapter 10, we see in verses 1 through 22 that the Lord Jesus has sent out the 70 to preach the gospel. And these 70 go out, they proclaim the gospel, and they even witness mighty deeds done at their hands in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come back to Jesus. They come back to Jesus ecstatic about what they have been able to do. And he looks at them and says, do not rejoice in this. That even the spirits are subject to you. Rather, rejoice that your names are in the book of life. In the book of heaven. Rejoice in this. Jesus, in the context of his suffering will then turn to the Father, and the text is, is, is extraordinary. It says that he rejoiced with exuberance in the Holy Spirit as he addressed his Father, saying, Father, I thank you that you have not revealed yourself to the mighty, the proud, the strong, the intellectual, but you have revealed yourself to those that come as little children. The power of the love of the gospel 
is that it rejoices in the truth in the context of lies, of the context of wrongdoing of others. Sometimes we even see the consequences of that wrongdoing and rejoice in the sufferings of others. That is not the gospel. Gospel love will love to see the truth lived, expressed, and enjoyed. Do you love the truth so much that you delight to see the gospel lived out in others? Gospel love compels us to love what God loves, to hate what He hates, and to rejoice in the truth. This weighty love, this potent love, of which the Apostle Paul speaks in verses 4 through 6 here, is, is, is a love that has been attained, it has been realized and secured for us in Christ Jesus. Think about this. If Jesus had possessed only the gifts of eloquence and had not love, his life and death were nothing. If Jesus had possessed the power to heal and had not love, he was merely a self-serving miracle worker. If Jesus had given the supreme sacrifice of his life, he would not, without love, have gained anything. He would not have gained us, the church, But instead, what we find in the outpouring of God's love demonstrated to us in Christ Jesus that this love is secured once for all so that nothing, as Paul will say in Romans 8, can separate us from the love of God in Christ. So much is is that so that the Apostle Paul will argue that for God's love to depart his church would require God's love to depart his son. That's how much We are loved. And it is in the context of that love that the Apostle Paul says, as the church, the more excellent way, the way for us to live is a way of Christ's love with one another. Verses 7 and 8. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul ends this expression of gospel love. Having talked about its potency, now he talks about its stubbornness. It's a love that bears, believes, endures all things. It is stubbornly selfless. It is stubbornly resilient. It is stubbornly persevering and gracious. This love is not easy. It will not be conjured up in our own power. It is a love that is impossible, but it is the God of the impossible who has given us this impossible love. In John 13 through 17, we have what is called the upper room discourse, this Sweet and intimate and yet profound disclosure of Jesus' conversation and fellowship and last supper with his disciples before he goes to the cross. And John 13 opens this way. 
It says that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. He loved them to the end. He loved them to the cross. Jesus' love never ends. And it is that love that calls us to love with the same love with which we have been loved. The love of Christ and the love for Christ compels love for one another. Anything else is but a hollow sham, a fake, a fraud. Gospel love is vital dynamic love. This love brings people from all economic stratuses, all personal stratuses, all racial stratuses. It brings them together. Even when there is disagreement, there is absolute unity because of the power of the gospel. And love says, I will not make my personal opinion or my personal hurts the means by which I will engage others. If I'm loved by Christ, then I will love with the love of Christ. I will defer my personal opinion to the one who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ. There is, in many cultures around the world, a common practice. You'll see this in the Middle East. You'll see this in Eastern Europe. You'll see this in Asia where when you come into someone's home that you are required culturally to remove your shoes. And you leave those shoes at the door, and it has many meanings in many cultures. But the practice is the same, and in many ways what this represents is that I am not going to bring the filth of my traveling into your home. In some measure, I would suggest to you, people of God, that we have an obligation to remove our self-centeredness. By the power of the gospel, take that off and love one another with the love with which we have been loved. We're to remove it. Paul will tell us to put on the new man. And that is that loving one another as we have been loved. Brothers, And sisters in Christ, I urge you, because of the reality of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, to love one another, to remember that you are loved eternally, that you are to love one another with that same eternal love. Love of Christ does not cling to selfishness, it clings to to the selfless one himself, Jesus Christ. And in clinging to Christ, the church of Christ loves what Christ loves. He loves the unity of the church. We must love then the unity of the church. He loves the purity of the church. Then we must love the purity of the church. He loves the Word of God. We must love the Word of God. We must be a people who love as we have. And by the outpouring of the Spirit, this gospel love is for real. It is ours. 
may we then, as we go out these doors, be shining testimony to the world of the love of Christ and be like the church of the first century. When unbelievers looked at it, it, they looked at the church and marveled because of how they loved one another. May by the power of God and his gospel, may that be true of those at Alden Union Church. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the power of the gospel, for the love of the gospel. I thank you for the extraordinary way in which Jesus Christ has shown that love in the very giving of his life for us. So may we be compelled by that love and love because you have first loved us. Let's take out our hymnals for one last hymn. Let's open up to hymn number 505. And let's all stand and let's sing together, Love Lifted Me.
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirits today and forevermore. Go in peace.